officially welcome you to Restoration Church. If uh, we haven't met, my name is Eric and I serve as the lead pastor here. And uh, we are thankful that you're here this morning. I just want you to be aware of uh, what, what's happening. We're in the midst of a series called Our Stories right now where uh, we are... Uh, inviting some of our people here at Restoration Church to share their story, not to highlight their story, but to magnify what God is doing in the midst of their story. So uh, in, in next to that, we're also walking through uh, the Psalms. So this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 32, if you want to grab your Bible and turn there. Uh, and while you're turning to Psalm 32, I'm going to invite uh, Lucas and Tony uh, up here to uh, join me on stage as they're going to share their story uh, this morning. <laughs> microphone's here. <clears throat> so, this is uh, Lucas and Tony Fatka, if you don't know them. Um, so, I'll just start off by saying Happy Mother's Day. Um, to you, not to Lucas, but um, <clears throat> so, and, and I would say happy Mother's Day to all of you uh, ladies that are in the room, um, those who have children with you, those who uh, have children who you've sent out of the home, those who uh, are serving as spiritual mothers um, because uh, you don't have uh, your own physical children. Uh, and we're we're going to talk about that this morning and uh, really what that looks like. Um, and so uh, we, we do want to celebrate the ladies today. So uh, when you leave the service today, there's a gift for you in the foyer. Um, so make sure that you guys uh, get that today. And ironically enough, prepared by uh, Tony. So um, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and uh, introduce your, your family? Um, I'm Lucas Fatka. This is my wife, Tony. Um, we have four kids, three out, one in. And they are Oliver's eight. No, Oliver's six. Oh my gosh. Okay. We, we kind of have five kids. Chief, Chief is eight. Up. Yeah. Chief, our, our chocolate lab, is eight. He's, he's slept in our bed since the day he was born. And uh, Oliver's six. Lucy's four. Hudson's two. Um, yep, due in October. And uh, we've lived in Adel for three, almost four years. Four years in July. Um, we moved here. We attended the one of the opening services for restoration at the high school. Um, didn't go back right away. Probably what a year and a half ago, two years ago. Um, we started coming back, and we haven't left. So, and now we're members and all that. So, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's good. Um, so, are you guys ready for this? Yeah, okay. I this is mean of Eric because I'm pregnant, obviously, and I'm going to cry a lot. So I'm it's, just apologizing in advance. It's fine. It's fine. I can't stop crying this morning. Yeah. So that's okay. That's okay. Uh, so I, I do. I do want to preface this. To, we're we're going to talk about some hard things um, this morning. Um, again, not because. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm going to trust that you're going to need those more than me, but uh, I might need them too. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about some, some difficult things this morning, um, but again, what I want to really magnify is what God did in the midst of, of all of that. Um, so, see, here we go, here we go right? Um, 
So, Tony, you want to jump in? You, you have um, some things that you just want to share kind of yeah. up front. Yeah. So our story is really long and in-depth, and there's so much detail that we could go down the rabbit hole with. So I think I want to start out with um, I've sat through Mother's Days where they've been extremely challenging, and I've sat through Mother's Days where they've been incredibly joyful. Um, I've sat through Mother's Days where I felt like a failure, like I felt unworthy, um, and I mean services because we went to church through all this. Um, I felt like my body had betrayed me. I felt angry. Um, and the reason why I had all those feelings through those first few Mother's Days, and even some after we had our first child, um, was because our story, really, when you look at it in stats, um, it includes 10 rounds of fertility treatments across two of our children. Um, it includes five surgeries, um, two for infertility, and um, three C-sections. I count those because... They're hard. Um, and includes three miscarriages. Um, it includes three um, neo, well, NICU stays, which is neonatal intensive care unit stays, um, that were all different but hard in their own way. Um, and it's, that's just, that's our story, I think. Um, and so all those things, um, you know, I started out being feeling unworthy and not understanding why I didn't have kids sitting next to me on Mother's Day. Um, and I think God really came around me and I pursued him during all those feelings of anger um, and hurt instead of trying to believe those things. So that's the summary and the yeah. stats of our story. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and, and I just, I, I want to say, um, specifically to the ladies. I, I don't know what your experience has been in um, church services on Mother's Day. Um, if you've sat through church services that you have felt like a failure, I just want to say that I'm sorry. Um, because I want you to understand that your value comes from being a daughter of the King, not whether or not you have physical children sitting with you. Okay. Uh, I, I want you to know that. I want you to hear that. Um, Tony, that's a lot of stats, um, but for us analytical thinkers, I appreciate you giving us stats like that. Um, so I, and we, we, just so you guys know, this isn't like a, they have no idea what's coming. We've talked about this, okay? Um, so we're going to use those, those stat categories as kind of uh, the seasons that we're going to talk through. Um, this morning. So, so you talked about fertility treatments, right? Um, so how long have you guys been married? Uh, almost nine years. Almost nine mm -hmm. years. Okay. Um, so how long had you been married and you found out you had to start fertility treatments and kind of walk that route? So we hadn't been married that long. Do you want to talk, do you want me to talk about it? Okay. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's fine. Um, we, we got married when we were like 26, I think. Um, and so we started trying to have kids right away. And I think, um, I don't remember. It was, we were probably like seven months in okay. when I just knew. I mean, we had already had a miscarriage. Um, I knew just things weren't going the way that they were supposed to go. So I went to the doctor and I found out I had um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. I also have type 1 diabetes. I feel like that's a really important piece of our stats. I've had type 1 diabetes since I was 12. Um, so 
a little over 23 years. Um, and then I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And then as we were going through fertility treatments, things just weren't really lining up. There were different levels that came back strange. And so, and I had um, some pain and stuff. So my OB said, well, why don't we see if you have endometriosis? So we went in for our first surgery and ended up having endometriosis. Um, and that's when he referred us to um, a fertility endocrinologist um, in Des Moines. Um, and he kind of went over our history and our stats. And I think we came out of that appointment with a plan and a 2% chance um, of our plan working. <laughs> Um, and we were kind of like down, you know, we, we, we made that decision to continue on with fertility treatments and to do it because I felt, I mean, we felt like we were called to have children, um, whether they were biological or um, even during this time we were going through foster care um, approval and classes, so whether they were adopted. Um, so we just kind of kept going with those, yeah. that plan. Yeah. So how do you... <clears throat> and this is all like within the first couple of years of yeah. marriage, right? Yep. Um, so you mentioned you had a miscarriage mm -hmm. during that time, right? Um, you find out that you need to start um, fertility treatments. How, how do you how do you come to that decision? Because that's not an easy thing to walk through, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you're thinking about fostering, and so you're going through foster classes and all that training. Like, how do you guys? come to that decision as a couple? I suppose I have to answer some of these. You do, yes. Uh, I think for us it was just the, the process was taking so long and once we'd start doing some of these medical things and finding out what was really wrong, we kind of realized this wasn't going to be possible on our own. Now we knew it wasn't going to be possible on our own because we're both mm -hmm. Christians and we know God plays a big part in that, but um, we just knew we were going to need help and they were up front with us about it. They told us you know, what the chances were and all that stuff and so we kind of just basically you know, if we want this to happen, we need to be, um, we need to be, uh, I can't think of the word, but we need to be purposeful about it. Like mm -hmm. we have to pursue it at whatever cost it takes. And um, going through foster care and adoption classes at the same time was, was harder yet because you're almost kind of like, not that you're giving up, but you're kind of in the back of your mind thinking, well, I'm, you know, covering all my bases and everything. And yeah. um, once we started those treatments, I don't, I don't know if any of you or any women have ever done those treatments before, but they, they can screw with your hormones in ways that you never thought possible. And so it's almost like your wife doesn't become a different person, but in a sense, she's kind of a different mm. person. And uh, <laughs> so it just, I mean, it wears on you and it's hard, but yeah. we knew it's what we had to do. Sure. So, so in the midst of all of that, though, there, there's no, like you said, you, you came out of conversation with a doctor, like with a plan, but it's still a very low percentage that that's even going to work. So, so you're dealing with all of these things. Um, how hard is it to wait in the midst of all of that? Because there, there's no guarantee that it's going to it's no. going to come to fruition, right? <laughs> It'll really test your patience. It's not like uh, you know you're not just like flipping over flashcards to see if you won or not. It's like you know anybody that's obviously tried to have a child knows you you attempt to have a child and then you wait a month to find out whether or not you, that was successful. And to have that repeatedly, month after month after month, just fail and fail and fail, mm. it takes so much energy and effort to like go back and try it again. Like it just, it wears on you. And when you've been doing it for two years, my gosh, there's more tears than there are smiles in your mm. house at that point. And uh, yeah, it really tests your patience. 
Yeah. I should also say money plays a big part in it too. There are treatments that you can do, but man, they are expensive. And that they obviously they increase your chances, but again, there's no there's no certainty that they'll sure. work. Sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> did you so you have four kids, right? Um, have you had treatments for each of them or some of them? Yeah, so I think a really neat part of our story is Lucy, so we all, we, I call him by name, or we can call him one, two, three, four. Um, so number one, Oliver, um, we went through nine rounds with him. Um, so he was our hardest one to get to, but then Lucy, um, we knew we wanted to have another child, and um, we, it, when we were trying to have another child, we ended up having another miscarriage before Lucy, um, and that, we actually conceived naturally with that one, um, but then that threw my hormones into a huge mess and we mm. ended up just doing one round of treatment with her and, and got pregnant. Um, and then our number three, um, he's the one that we never had a miscarriage before. We, um, I had to have a surgery before him. Um, and I asked Lucas like, well, what's our plan? Are we done? Are we having more? And he's like, the night before I'm like badgering him. Like I, the surgery, we, <laughs> it's tomorrow morning. Like we have to make a decision. And he's like, I think we'll just let God decide. Like whatever, just, just go in and have the surgery and come home and God will just figure it out for us. And I think it was like three months later and I was pregnant naturally and he was born and um, he was our hardest NICU's day. He was our hardest pregnancy. Um, he was our scariest. We were told in the NICU um, a couple of days after he was born that they didn't know what his future might be or if he might even live or I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he's two and running around and awesome. Um, and then this one, um, I, do you want me to continue on? Sure. Okay, this one, we, I think after Hudson was born, um, I mean, just with how hard his birth was and his NICU stay was, um, both Lucas and I remember saying like, we're done, we can't, we can't do this again. This is really hard um, to watch your child be, I mean, when they like, I never held my kids um, right away. It was a few days, um, at least a few days after, because they had to be stabilized. Um, so it's really hard to see them go through that and it's really hard to um, see them repeatedly poked by needles and repeatedly have um, alarms go off in their hospital beds um, that really shouldn't be going off. And so we just kind of said like, I don't think that we can do this again. Like this is, this is hard. Um, you know, our faith was growing, my faith especially, was growing stronger through all of it. You know, I had started out during fertility treatments like angry and, and trying to pursue something. Um, and I started each one, I kind of filled more and more and drew, drew closer to God. Um, and I was, I was definitely there with Hudson a lot more, um, but it was still really hard. And I still was just like, no, I, I can't. And I remember Lucas saying he stood in that room when Hudson was born and they were intubating him saying, I'm never doing this to a child again. Um, but then um, um, it was funny enough, like we, we go to Northern Minnesota every year for vacation and I don't know where the guys were but I remember me and Lucas's sister were standing at the cabin and I remember standing at a table and the kids were like chaos I mean there's six small children like 
chaos. And, but the water was still. Um, and I remember God saying, like, stop. You're having another one. Like, you will have a fourth. And this is my plan for you. And I never wavered from that. I, we went home, and I told Lucas, like, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to get on board because, like, this is what God said. And I don't think that he's... I think this is true. Like, this is really what's going to happen. Um, and so he it took a couple of weeks, but he got on board, and we got pregnant naturally um, on our own. And, and that's what our whole plan was. Like, this time around, like, if it happens for us on our own, great. And if it doesn't, then great. Like, <laughs> God's telling us this is going to happen. I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, and we ended up um, having a miscarriage um, with that one. And um, I dug in really hard, and I was just like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe God, maybe I didn't listen to God right. Like maybe I didn't hear Him right. And Lucas is like, No, you heard right. Just you know, and he just kept speaking truth into me. And finally, um, we got pregnant again, um, and found out at the end of January, and it was a natural pregnancy. And I think the most beautiful part of that story is our kids. Um, especially our oldest one, Oliver, he, even after Hudson was like, right after he was born, he was like, well, I want a sister. I want another sister. And, you know, we were like, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, and they kept asking for another sister. And we're like, guys, we, we don't get to decide. Well, then it, it's a girl. So <laughs> I just feel like our kids, you know, like God told us that um, we, it was hard. We still faltered. And didn't trust and, um, or I maybe didn't trust because of a miscarriage. Um, but in the end he knew and our kids knew that the plan was to have another baby and, um, that it would be a girl. So, yeah. Yeah. So Lucas in, in the, in the midst of all of this, like your wife is having multiple surgeries, you're watching your kids, uh, multiple NICU stays, right? Like miscarriages, all these things. Like, what what's going on with your faith in the midst of all of that? Tony asked me if I'd ever lost faith, and I'm like, no. And part I think part of the story is is kind of God focused for me because when we first started trying to have kids, we really weren't going to church. We, you know, I was we went to church our whole lives and everything, but when we moved to Mason City, we didn't know anybody, we didn't know any churches, so we, we weren't really going to church, and Tony was raised Catholic, so we started attending the Catholic church um, in Mason City, and when the whole infertility thing started, she just told me one day, she's like, it just isn't doing it for me. Going to this service just isn't, it's not filling me up, and I'm like, all right, and so she looked around, she found the Baptist church in uh, Mason City, and kind of got us going to that, and uh, that kind of helped her and that that's when she started to grow and she you know I kind of talked she'd go home with me to church and stuff and we always talk about having a personal a personal relationship with Christ and Tony just didn't know what that was she thought it, she didn't think it was weird but she just thought like I don't even know what that is or what that looks like or how that feels and I'm like so we just kept going to church kept going to church and I think it just helped her a little bit grow as a Christian and just little baby steps and um so for me, my faith never wavered because I trust and I believe, and I'm not saying she didn't, but there's just she was struggling with that aspect of her of her of her faith, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, to watch her just continue to to push and achieve those things and pursue God through all of it, um, I say that through this whole process, she didn't get kids; she got 
a personal relationship with Christ because that's what she has now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> so the older three have had NICU stays each time. Different things happen, right? Um, what's the what's the time duration for each of them that they were in the NICU? Severity of things that they're dealing with. Yeah, I won't go into all the details, but I mean, we were really, I think whenever you're in a NICU stay in the midst of it, any day in the NICU is too long. Um, but when I look around at our friends that have been in the NICU, I think that we are incredibly lucky um, because Oliver was, um, so Oliver was born and we were in a more rural hospital and he was transported by ambulance um, at 30 hours. Um, and he was there for 10 days, but his, um, what was going on with him and why he was so unstable um, is something called persistent pulmonary hypertension, um, which meant that we sat in a completely dark, quiet, and little to no stimulation room for seven days um, while he learned how to oxygenate his blood. Because um, babies don't do that when they're on the inside. They learn how to do that when they're on the outside pretty quickly, and he never learned until seven days. Um, so he was there 10. Um, Lucy, thankfully, um, we always say she's our easiest, because <laughs> um, she was pretty straightforward. So she was born. Um, what's really special about hers is um, the doctor that admitted Oliver to the NICU in Mason City and then um, ultimately transferred him was in the OR when Lucy was born, and she had already brought in all the necessary um, tools mm -hmm. and so it was just nice seeing her and knowing that even if something was going to happen with Lucy um, we had a familiar face and someone who we trusted um, and when Lucy when Oliver was born he didn't cry um, when Lucy came out she cried and you could tell within two minutes that the room had changed um, and she was not breathing well. Her, she looked like a fish out of water, so she had immature lungs. Um, and she was put on a CPAP machine right away, transferred to Des Moines at 14 hours, um, intubated, given surfactant to help her lungs open and expand. Um, and that was probably the biggest um, piece of her seven day NICU stay. So she was only there for seven days. Um, I never left the hospital during her stay, which is I never stepped foot outside the hospital, which when I actually stepped foot outside, I realized how bad of a decision that probably was. Um, but thankfully it was only seven days. And then Hudson, um, he, um, his due date kept getting moved up. Um, I had, um, uh, you're supposed to have a normal amount of amniotic fluid, and mine was severe. It was, it just kept going up, and his um, velocity of growth was increasing every day. I think I gained seven pounds in um, like five days <laughs> because of all the fluid. Um, and so I ended up going to the doctor one day, and I knew the ultrasound looked really bad. And the I always see a specialist because I'm high risk no matter what. Um, and she came in and she said, you know why I'm walking in? Because you, normally you just see the nurse. And I said, yeah, we're having a baby today. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you're having a baby in a couple of days. Thankfully, we can wait. So when Hudson came out, he, um, he looked really bad. I mean, I remember looking at him and I didn't want them to bring him any closer to me because he just, he needed help right away. And he ended up um, having immature lungs. So he was intubated and given surfactant. Um, he had um, congenital pneumonia. 
he was having what we thought were seizures. Um, he was having um, increased tone, so his muscles would tighten and he would shake. Um, sometimes he would shake so hard that the hospital bed would shake with him because he was a big baby. Um, he was still, none of my kids were small. He was still eight pounds, and I think he was eight pounds, six ounces. <laughs> I can't remember anymore. Um, but he was there, um, he was there 14 days, and we went through MRIs, we went through um, EEGs, which are um, looking at his brain. He was on an EEG for the first week of his life, um, or a week and a half maybe. He went through a spinal tap um, and multiple blood draws to get all of the full gamut of um, genetic testing and metabolic testing done. We sent those off to Mayo. So just a, a lot with his NICU stay. Um, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's a lot, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I will say, <laughs> I think, and I know Lucas. I don't know. I, I remember sharing with our small group that during Hudson's NICU stay, and maybe even during Lucy's. I remember Oliver's. I felt angry and this weight on me. And Lucy's, I just kind of went and I enjoyed her. And Hudson's, I just pretended I was at home. I mean, I. I don't know. It, I just was there, and I was trying to enjoy my child, and I think that, chain, that, that perspective came with our NICU doctor telling me, like, enjoy him while you can, um, and I, I didn't let anything stop that joy, um, and I think that was the difference. I had this calm and this peace, and I knew that God was with me, and no matter what happened, like, whether I got to take Hudson home or I didn't, that everything would be fine because it would be. So sorry. Yeah. Um, so long NICU stays <clears throat> with each of the kids, um, but at other times there has been the joy of pregnancy and the loss of child, right? So how do you, uh, Lucas, why don't you talk for a little bit? Um, how, do you, <clears throat> how do you process the loss of a pregnancy like that emotionally? How do I process it? I just in general, yeah. Um, I think my role as the husband is to be the rock, the one that, that, that brings her down. Um, it's not... I don't know why, but it, it clearly it affects women more than it does men. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why those feelings are different. Um, but just being there for her and whatever she needs, whatever help she needs, whatever doctor appointments, you know, just being available so she doesn't feel like she's doing everything on her own. Because mm -hmm. she's not. I mean, it's our, it's our child, and, and we need to, you know, whatever stage we're in with that, um, we need to be doing all those things together. Yeah. And so just helping her walk through that and helping her not feel like she's doing it by herself. Sure, sure. Is there, um, <clears throat> either one of you collectively, whatever, is there something that, because right now you have a captive audience, is there something <laughs> that you would say to a family that has experienced miscarriage that maybe, like just something to encourage them, something that they can hold on to that maybe brought comfort to you, somebody said it to you, or God just gave you peace in that moment? Is there something that you would say to them in the midst of that? 
I would just say don't don't quit. If if that's your goal and your goal is to have your child, I would say pursue it at all costs. I we know people that that have gone through everything, IVF, and you know, any and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to get pregnant and literally they just kind of gave up. They packed their bags, they moved to another country. They were living and working there for I don't know, a year and five months and just got pregnant. And so like <laughs> you never know when God is going to insert himself into your life and give you that that uh, that blessing and just don't stop trying. If that's what you want, that's your right to continue to try and continue to pursue those things and just don't don't give up. I think those friends of ours, um, we walked through infertility together at the same time. Um, and so she experienced miscarriage after IVF. Um, and I think the thing that we just kept leaning on was um, our kids were fine because they were with Jesus. Like, that's yeah. where they go. So they're fine. They're, they're not with us, which is really sad and heartbreaking and hard for us. But they're safe and they're fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in total, how many kids do you have? <laughs> Seven. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is... <clears throat> So on our side, it's the selfish, like, I want them to be here, right? Um, but on the other side of that, they didn't have to experience any nastiness of this world, right? They just get to be with, with God. Um, yeah, and one, one day, one day you all be together, right? Um, so in the midst of all of this, and I, I don't want to miss this statement, Lucas, you said about Tony in the midst of all of this, she didn't, she didn't just get kids. She got a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, like that's, that's the spotlight, right? Um, and I just, I have to say this, like before I forget, like I can't imagine Oliver in a dark room not making any noise because I've never experienced that. <laughs> <clears throat> Does he still do that sometimes? If he's watching YouTube. If he's watching YouTube. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, like, your life, like, sitting here today, and, and you, you said some things the other night when we were talking about this at the house, like, that if there, there's the probability that if you didn't experience some of these things, Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with God and you're probably not even sitting here today, right? As a part of this body of believers. So what, like when you reflect back on all of that, what's, what's the spotlight for you in what God did in the midst of all of this? Yeah, I think Lucas always reminds me that during all of it, I was looking and searching for something and it wasn't, I mean, in, in the midst of it, in my mind, I was looking and searching for children, um, but the more my, I'm just gonna cry, the more my faith grew, um, and the more my understanding of God, um, my relationship grew, um, I, yeah, I got kids, and that's like the cherry on top, but I got a much more important relationship, and that was with Jesus, and I think too, um, I mean, I, I, you know, I grew up going to church. I knew everything about, um, or not everything, but I knew what it meant to have, to to believe in God and mm-hmm. 
Um, but I think, one, I, I think um, God prepared me to be patient. He stripped me of con- some of the self-control or the control that I wanted to have over my life. Um, and he made me truly surrender um, everything so that I could be the mom that um, my kids needed and um, really focus on what was most important was being um, an example of Jesus to them and not um, not being selfish and um, controlling. <laughs> so I think I remember saying last night at the house to Lucas and Eric that like I don't think I'd ever spoken out loud, but I really think that my kids, God used my kids to save me. I mean, that entire story is what he used them for. And so when I look at them, like, no one's ever too small to serve God's purpose. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, nobody's too small to serve God's purpose, right? Um, Man, thanks for sharing today, guys. I know know this is difficult to talk about, but um, yeah, thanks, thanks for doing that. So let me, let me pray for you guys. Yeah. Father God, thank you, God, for who you are. Um, Lord, thank you that in the midst of difficult circumstances, uh, God, in the midst of um, tragic moments, um, God, moments of uncertainty um, in all of these places, God, that you were writing a story. God, you were writing a story to change the eternal destination of one. And God, we're so thankful for that because that one life that's changed now impacts all these other little lives that she's raising in her home. Um, God, would you continue to write this story God, would you continue uh, to be the God who does miraculous things, uh, God, that brings peace and comfort uh, in, in the midst of, of difficult seasons. Um, God, we just praise you and thank you for all that you have done, God, all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Church, real quick, I, I want to invite you to, to go to Psalm 32 with me. I, I think there's a, there's a couple things here um, that really speak uh, and, and just bring some light uh, to, to what we just heard. Uh, Psalm 32, um, I, I, I want to start reading in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule 
<clears throat> without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David had come to this place where he knew his sin and he realized that if you go back to verse three, he, he realized that he had kept silent and not confessed his sin. And it was, it was ripping him apart inside verse, um, it's, it says that, uh, that the Lord's hand was heavy on him in verse 4. Like the, the weight of his sin was just coming down on him. In verse 5, he acknowledged that. He confessed it. And then look what, look what transpires after. Verse 6, he says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Listen, if you know God, would you offer prayer to him? And then look, look at what he now knows and recognizes in verse 7. You, God, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Listen, whatever is going on in your life, we sang it earlier that, that, uh, that God would, would hide us in the rock. That he is a hiding place. L listen, there, there is one place to go and experience protection. There is one place to go and feel that you are just wrapped up and there's nothing that can happen. And it's in the presence of God. David, David prayed to God, acknowledging him as a hiding place. He said, God, you, you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Maybe some of us need to experience that this morning. We just feel like we're sitting on an island by ourselves. And some of us need to experience God just surrounding us. And then David says, here's, here's what God does. He will instruct you. And he'll teach you in the way that you should go. He'll counsel you with his eye upon you. Like, isn't that encouraging? That God counsels us, he leads us, he teaches us where to go, and he doesn't just point the finger and say, go, now figure it out. He goes with us. He stays near. David reminds us here, don't, don't be like a horse or a mule who has to be curved with a bit or a bridle. Stay close to the Lord. And look how he finishes in verses 10 and 11. He says, But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Are you trusting in the Lord today? Are you trusting in Him for what comes next? Are you trusting Him even in the midst of tragedy and this didn't turn out the way that I thought it would? Are you trusting in the Lord, experiencing His steadfast love surrounding you? Verse 11, this, this is the application here. 
For those of us who know the Lord Jesus and are following him, we should be glad in the Lord. And we should rejoice. We should shout for joy from our hearts. Can we do that this morning? Even in the midst of a difficult season, even in the midst of just not knowing what's next. Let me ask us this question. Is God your hiding place? Are you in the presence of God? I just want to invite us to just close our eyes and just let that sink in for a moment. Maybe you've, you've never thought about God in that way. That He is your hiding place. That He is protecting us. That He's surrounding us with His steadfast love. Let me be honest here. It's difficult to feel like you're in the presence of God and being hidden under His protection when you're distant from Him. It's difficult to feel like God is near you when you have distanced yourself from Him because of the, the chasm that is between us and God called our sin. Maybe we have sin in our life that needs to be confessed this morning. Maybe some of us just need to cry out to God for salvation. Would you do that this morning if that's you? Maybe some of us are experiencing a difficult season in our life right now and we just need to ask God to be near. Oh God, would you surround us with your love this morning?